Hello, welcome to a very special episode of Sky Sessions. Sidus couldn't be with us today. As a guest, we have one of the most successful Skyweaver tournament and conquest players in the game, Nobless. Today we'll be discussing his thoughts on the state of the game, what he does in preparation for tournaments, and his discovery challenge he has for this month. In addition, we'll be covering patch 110 and briefly talking about the game's current meta in both Constructed and Discovery. For Sky Sessions, I am Blink Candle, and with me is Just Add Bacon and our very special guest, Nobless. First question, Nobles, have you ever listened to the podcast before? Don't worry, no wrong answers. Actually, um, there are. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but I never listened to it, but I have an excuse. Uh, Spotify oh, yeah. uh, isn't uh, available in my country. <laughs> I, I can't listen to it. Well, I can, potentially, if I use some software, but I never did it, so... It's okay, I understand. Um... But now you gotta listen to at least this one. Yeah, I think it's worth the risk. I think we're worth it. <laughs> well, it, I have, just so everyone knows, it is now on every podcast streaming service, not just Spotify. So it's been added to Apple and Google and Amazon and um, Stitcher. All of the podcast providers now have Sky Sessions on them. Dude, we are syndicated. Yep. How's your day going, Nobles? What have you been up to? I've been playing Zosa for for the whole day for some reason. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure why. I was supposed to play ranked Discovery today, but I ended up not doing this. Pathetic. Pathetic. No, you're playing constructed then. No, no, no. Uh, I'm supposed to get the wrong command on Discovery because I don't want to lose right. my 200 TSD. <laughs> Motivated. I like that. <laughs> what have you been playing to try and keep that? Uh, you mean in the discovery? Yeah. Well, I'm usually just going by the by the appearance rates. I'm analyzing them for like 10 minutes. And then I'm figuring out what's the best. And the best this patch is Lotus. And I sort of prefer Axel more to just a pure wisdom, just because it plays more entertaining to me, and it's the same power level almost all the time, so I'm playing Axel. Hmm. But in the future, I'm going to be playing Lotus just because it's just a bit better. <laughs> Did you want to tell everyone who's listening about the discovery challenge you have going on? Well, it might sound selfish, but the only reason it exists is because I just wanted to make the ranks more entertaining for myself. <laughs> and, well, there is a potential of losing $200, but I'm pretty confident no one is better than me in this mode. So, well, someone might grind more games than me, that's possible. But overall, at bet I will win the contest that I created myself. And also one of the reasons why I created this is because I am an ambassador, I'm supposed to stream. And every time I'm trying to stream Conquest, it's a horrible experience of waiting 30 minutes in queues. So I decided that I need to do something about it, otherwise I'm going to lose my job. Uh, not job. I I'm not really treating it too seriously. But uh, I want to create the content. Yeah. See, you should have gone into the media, and then you'd have more job security. So... One ambassador to another, I'll just tell you. 
<laughs> it is tough to stream Conquest because you end up just talking a lot or doing other things with the, your viewers because sometimes the waits are kind of long. Uh, sometimes they're very long, so I understand. I usually just stream ranked because of that. Yeah, I've completely stopped playing Conquest mostly. Sometimes I'll get on there just because, like, I want to see what, like, the Conquest people are playing. And then it's all just Iris, and I'm like, ah, nothing has changed for the past month. So I get past it and go back to ranked. I would play or construct a ranked on stream, but it just seems so unreasonable to me. Like, every single time I question myself, why would I play ranked instead of Conquest? I just don't understand this. Mainly, the reason would be is that queues are bearable, like, you only spend around 10 seconds waiting for your opponent in ranked, compared to 30 minutes in conquest. But sometimes conquest isn't that bad, and you can actually earn some good money with it. So, I'm, I'm playing conquest for that reason. Yeah. Of course. Hey, I've got a question for you guys. When you are crafting about, and you want to make a new deck, do you use the ranked ladder, or do you use Conquest to test it? Well, if you're asking me, I never touched ranked in forever, so it's Conquest. Ah, you're testing in Conquest. Handle, what about you? I tend to play around in ranked for a little bit, and then once I feel confident in the deck, I go to Conquest and usually have to change a few things because the meta is just different in Conquest. Yeah, you have the economic factor playing more heavily in Conquest. Yeah, that's something I've thought about a lot. I think it's something cool that Skyweaver brings to the game is motivation to play your best in Conquest because oftentimes, I mean, I just stream for fun. I just stream uh, viewers decks. I, I goof around and I'll definitely make meme turns that are funnier, but not as correct which is something that everyone can do on rank but there's a lot of motivation to play more correct and um strategic if you're playing conquest <laughs> talking about conquest and streaming for some reason if you stream conquest even though queues are 30 minutes your viewership doubles i tested it on myself for many times when i'm streaming Discovery ranked, it's like 15 people, and Conquest, it's 30 people. No matter the duration of queues, it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's because everybody playing Conquest is watching you and trying to queue into you. <laughs> well, if it was 15 people playing Conquest, it wouldn't be 30 minutes. Queues. Right. Maybe they're all just queuing into each other. Backfired. <laughs> Well, overall, the, the Conquest streaming experience is, is miserable. You're getting infinite queues. I'm introverted, so I'm not speaking during the queue. And I'm queuing for 30 minutes because people are, are stream sniping me. And they either stream dodge me or they are actually sniping in-game and I'm losing win rate. It's miserable. What do you think we can... Not we, I'm no, I did not employ a Horizon. What do you think Horizon and Skyweaver can do to make these things better? Honestly, nothing. I, I can't think of anything. I played Hearthstone for a long time, and solution wasn't there. People are streaming their gameplay in high-level competitions, and 
people can just stream snipe them if, if they want, nothing can stop them. And I would guess it's the same for Skyweaver. Like, the best you can do is, like, offline mode or something like that, where your nickname is not visible. But this doesn't help too much, obviously. Yeah. Right. It, in, in Hearthstone, it's a little harder because you're more likely to queue into someone else. If you're stream sniping in Conquest, your chances of queuing into the person you're watching are very high. Right. Maybe that problem solves itself as the player base gets larger. Yes, uh, exactly. If there were more people playing Conquest, this wouldn't be as much of an issue. I was streaming Conquest, like, since the beginning, and it was never really a problem unless, like, f past few months, when the player base wasn't that big. So... You've been playing a few tournaments this past month. I got the opportunity to see you play. Um, what I, I what made you frustrated and decide I'm done with co constructed for this moment, and I'm gonna go ahead and focus on discovery. For the longest time, I wasn't ever enjoying constructed as a game mode compared to discovery. If Skyweaver only had Constructed and never had Discovery, I probably wouldn't complain about it ever. But when I know how much I enjoy Discovery, it just makes me think, dude, why am I playing Constructed? What's the reason? I enjoy Discovery much more. But all the competition is happening in Constructed, so I'm forced to play this mode. And at some point, like recently, I just broke. And I was like, okay, I don't want to play Constructed as much anymore. Do you think that it is a fact of how like the current constructed mode is balanced and designed? Or do you think that there is something that is fundamentally different about the constructed format that makes you prefer discovery more? I am really not a big fan of Singleton in Skyweaver. I I like it in Discovery, the fact that it's Singleton, but in Constructed I, I feel like well, obviously, you couldn't change it anymore. The whole game is balanced around it being singleton. But as it is, it's just not enjoyable since the... You know, the math element kinda kinda vanishes because you just can't play around anything because there is only one copy of each single card. And you're just wrong when you play around stuff. Most of the time. And it makes the game kind of boring, because it's the same play pattern over and over, I feel like. Hmm. And you don't think that could be fixed with a better balance or things? If all the cards would do the same thing, like they will be all very similar, then it doesn't really matter which card opponent plays if, it, if it's the same power level. But in Skyweaver, you can clearly see some outliners. Like, there is a 30-card deck, and around 7 of those cards are OP, and 23 cards are fillers. And it's it feels like it's all about if your opponent draws all those 7 cards or not. And it was like that, honestly, all the time. Like, the whole year I played Constructed, it was like that. You could potentially change it, but I can't really see it. Unless the whole balance of how happens. Well, I would be interested in hearing your opinion on 
a new mode, like a draft mode, how would you feel if they introduced something like that? Draft sounds very complicated with all the prisms. I'm, I'm just not sure if draft exists. Then is there a ranked for draft? Because it's hard to imagine, right? How, like, how, how do we do the ranked system for drafts? It doesn't make much sense. And if it's only for conquest, then how do you practice? How do you practice the draft if you need to pay for it? it then, like, it's also pretty confusing. If we talk about, like, the game design side of things, how's it gonna look like? Are you gonna change a prism and then draft? And is it going to be all prisms? I don't know. I wonder what they're going to come up with, because we know the draft is going to be at the game at some point. Like, it's pretty much confirmed. And honestly, I'm just waiting for whatever they're going to do. I personally feel like uh, draft could be the number one most important thing in Skyweaver coming up. And I don't, my envisionment of it could be very different than how they implement it. But if they do implement it with like a conquest only format where you only practice by paying whatever amount, a ticket. Um, but that, I think that would encourage a lot of newer or less experienced or less talented players to play because they would consider that aspect of luck of drafting a really OP deck as motivation for a chance to win something and possibly bring the numbers up. And I just think introducing a new fun mode that's different could really, I don't know, help the player base continue to be engaged even when they're not particularly fond of the meta. It's pretty interesting, honestly. I hear a lot that what makes discovery enjoyable for newer, less talented players, or however you want to call it, is that there is a luck element that allows you to be the stronger player, right? But in reality, I feel like discovery gives you a bigger edge in the gameplay than constructed by a lot. Why do I think so? I played both Constructed and Discovery for a long time. And my win rate in Discovery is like 73% in Conquest overall, while Constructed is something around 65%. So there is a, an 8% win rate difference, and that's a lot. You can almost say like Discovery might actually give you a bigger edge in the gameplay. So, I actually agree with you, because if you don't know interactions, if you don't know cards, if you don't realize the attached spell does this, or the things do this in this order, and you need a little bit more expansive knowledge to get a full picture of what's going to happen when you make a play, but the feeling of the ability to win against, for example, you, Noblesse, like if I'm a new player and I think, hey, maybe I can get a chance to beat Noblesse, even if it's not really realistic, is motivation to play. Um, and I think that obviously in a draft mode, the benefit to the inexperienced player is better, but definitely they'll be losing more than they'll be winning. You know, it'll be 
uh, not in their favor overall by a long shot, but um, there's that gambling aspect that you don't get with Conquest. You queue into Conquest. It doesn't feel like a fun gamble that you can play and see what cards you get um, because you're just against the best players and they're just dominating you. I have kind of a mainstream analogy for Constructed and Discovery. Um, we can take the game, popular game, League of Legends. There is a ranked system, and there is like... I, I honestly am not really familiar with the game, but I know how MOBAs work. And there is, I don't know, diamond skill brackets. Uh, how can you reach diamonds where you're not diamond? You can either inc increase your overall game knowledge and like the comprehension of game mechanics, your macro skill and all that stuff, or you can just spam one single hero and increase your micro skill by just pressing the buttons better. I would say Discovery is the first one and Construct is the second one. To win a Discovery, you need to, like the better your game understanding is, the better player you're gonna be. And in Constructed, you can just get away with playing one single deck and just remembering all the patterns that you're going to see all the time. Hey, I'm sorry. I've got to push back against that. I do not think that that is accurate. At best, what you are saying may be true for a single specific given meta, but over time, as metas change, and they do change whenever balance is done correctly, as it has been done historically in Skyweaver, in my opinion, uh, those one-trick players generally do not perform well. If you look at the best players on the constructed ladder right now, they are not one-tricks. Like, Lemmy is not a one-trick, neither is Hespera, nor are a lot of the other people on here. You might be right in pointing at that and looking at something like Iris right now, which does, in many games, have a very linear plan, where it goes, okay, I'm going to play Blightcrafter, I'll just twiddle my thumbs until I can play Shield Bash, at some point, I'll play Soulpire Titan, and it just wins. And that's all well and true there, but that's not really a fair comparison. You're taking a unbalanced deck, and you're using that as demonstrative of the game mode. Well, I'm also talking about the previous metas, and obviously I'm not talking about tournaments where you need to win with two decks, but rather about Conquest, where you're locking the run with one single deck. And yes... One tricks are falling off with time, but when you're playing Conquest, your biggest fear is one tricks. Like, no matter the meta. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm facing a person that has pretty... pretty good odds of winning against me with this single deck, and if he plays anything other, he probably gonna pathetically lose but as he only needs to play one deck in conquest it like being one trick can work out pretty nicely in any meta i think another thing though you're you're discounting the requirement of knowing your opponent's deck too like there is actual interaction that happens in the conquest meta like even now with iris people have to know how to play around things like the opponent has ensnare the opponent has shield bash the opponent is going to have, like, Righteous and Lightning Vial and all these other things. There is, like, actual between-deck knowledge. And, like, sure, you won't really see that for, like, mirror matches, because, like, what I know about my deck, I know about my opponent's deck. They're the same deck. 
but the Conquest meta is not so homogenous that you can only learn a single deck and perform well. You have to have at least a baseline level of knowledge about your opponent's deck. In my understanding, it just still comes up to the same pattern. Uh, I mean, yes, it's different decks, but with time, when you're only playing a single deck, you're gonna remember all your opponent's deck. It's not a hard task. You just need to remember and get used to it. And then you can play your deck like an AI without any thinking, just doing everything well, basically you, without thinking. How do you get to a point where you remember all the steps that you need to do? Was well, that... you just spawn games. I'm sorry, what was that? You just spawn games, and eventually your brains can recognize all the patterns, and then you can play automatically without any thought given. So if I just randomly play cards for a bunch of games, eventually my brain will just analyze the board and I'll instinctively know what the best play is? Honestly, yes. Kinda like that. You All need right. to make some thinking in the beginning, but after that, it's honestly just an autopilot. I appreciate that your position is at least consistent, but another thing I think you're forgetting about here is that there is actually a learning process that happens, and as far as like actual high school players are concerned, there is a dex building process that is involved. Like I play Dig, I tech it constantly, and the only reason I am able to perform well with it at all on the Conquest ladder is because I know my opponent's decks better than they do, and I know specific cards that I can run to very cleanly counter my opponent's deck. That doesn't happen because of autopiloting, or because I've simply figured it out. Mostly because I'm not playing the same deck every game, I'm tweaking it round after round after round. I agree on this. Deck building skill is an actual, like, skill. Unlike gameplay, where you can just autopilot most of the time. But, I mean, yeah, I agree. Gameplay, to me, is... in constructed at least... It's just, I, I dislike the fact that you can put it on autopilot and it actually works out. And by this I mean you can, no, not, not you, but there are players that are 60% win rates and they are not thinking at all. They are just playing cards that they know they should play. They just know it, they don't think about it. And they have 60%. Yeah. And it's a, it's a strategic game, and it boggles my mind. They can win without thinking. It triggers me, and I'm like, okay, I don't want to play Constructed. And yes, deck building actually requires thinking, but you don't really need it to perform well in Conquest, if you play the meta deck. Yeah, I will say there is one area where I do very distinctly agree with you, and that is with the actual requirement of controlling board in the game. There are a lot of ways that you can just, like, burn down the enemy hero in Constructive. There's a lot of what I call, like, passive burn. And it's not strictly things like Chomp or Cosrath, although I do consider those to be passive burn cards. But it's also things like a Speedster or units that, like, require Banner to actually remove effectively that all just kind of whittle away at the hero's health over time. Because there's a lot of passive burn in the game and the fact that the, like, enemy hero has that hero attack there are a lot of like very good and viable decks in constructed that can actually win while completely ignoring the opponent's board 
And I do think that that is a problem, and I do think that that is a case in point for what you're talking about. As soon as the patch came out, uh, all of y'all are familiar with the change to Mengelong, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, so for those who have not read the patch notes, Mengelong is now a 10-mana little dragon. It reduces its cost by 1 for each element in your discard pile, and attached to it is a 3-mana spell that you can play to ready it, and, you know, because Wisdom can't have any bad cards, it also draws and attaches the lowest cost-like spell of Mengelong's element to it. You could also play it on other units, but you're usually playing it on Mengelong, which, mind you, is a 7-7 with Banner and Guard. As soon as the patch came out, literally the first thing I did was put together a Titus deck that just runs like Menglong, Comet, Cosrath, Tiamat's Rage, Chomp, just a ton of passive burn things, and the whole game plan was just to kill my opponent's units, and then eventually, once I get them to the late game, I play Menglong, that's 8 points of damage to their face, uh, Cosrath will be another 3, we're at 11, Chomp averages 3, so now we're at 14, Tiamat's Rage will... We'll be generous and call it four. That's 18 points of damage just from, like, curving out removal spells and just passive burn. And you know what? It worked really freaking well. I actually stopped playing it because I got bored, which I think is a great example of kind of some of the more issues with Constructed that you're talking about. You know, you certainly can have these situations where the plays are exceedingly obvious and you don't really have to think about the board or the enemy's units because you're just playing like matching with removal but i think the solution to that is just retooling how units are statted and removal in the game i don't think that that's a fundamental flaw of the constructed mode yeah i can i can actually say it if they if we think about actual board matchups where both opponents are trying to fight for the board matchup like i don't know metal fox against zoo city it can be actually complicated because the game is not going to be about if your removals are lining up into minions because you're not playing any removals in the first place but when you play like this titus or axel you're just jumping on curve and then if your hand lines up with what your opponent is doing then you won and if it didn't you probably lost and I can't really see the the creativity in this gameplay at all. I got to say, in a way to agree with you, Nobles, is when I was playing a lot of um, Conquest for a few metas, like probably a month or more, um, I would queue into the same guy pretty much almost every game three. And he was playing Gato Banjo, and he didn't care what I was doing, you know, at all. And I got, you know, I got frustrated. I'm like, oh, this guy in Gato Banjo again, every time. And you probably know who I'm talking about, honestly. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's um, who? Yeah. Shungo? Rodzea. Oh, yes, yeah. Dude, that guy is so good. I wish he played Dex I enjoyed. <laughs> Well, it was just a spam of Gato Banjo for uh, at least a month, and it's just, you know, and I did not feel, it, as I'm about to say, I didn't feel like it was interactive gameplay. Yeah. I do feel like there's plenty of interactive gameplay in Skyweaver, but that is a that is a situation I was in frequently that I did not feel that was. Do you guys think that more metagames should be kind of like the... Uh 
our Zoo City versus Metal Fox matchup? I would enjoy it more for sure, but I can't say if it should be like that. Yeah, as soon as you start talking like should statements in game design, you get to a very weird spot because you have to start talking about what the game ought to be doing, and that's a very difficult discussion. But I do think in general that like more board control, or not more board control, but board control being more relevant for deciding the game victor could be something that we all agree on would be a good thing. Guys, don't you think that a draft mode would be helpful in here? Because it wouldn't just be your skill, like Nobus is saying, at memorizing the board and autopiloting like an AI, as as his concern is. And then, Bacon, you'd have a deck-building aspect to every quote-unquote conquest run you made. So it would be a mixture of skills. And you'd have to be able to have foresight as far as combos go. This card goes with this card. And try and build something that is cohesive and works and kind of have a plan with random cards. I would definitely prefer a draft to discovery, but I don't think I would prefer a draft to conquest. Like even in the Iris meta, like I'm still testing things out. I'm still like actually having fun because I can get these like weird janky builds to actually like go even with Iris. And it's very satisfying knowing that like I can run up against like broken decks with stupid combos and still win. Uh, I want to say about drafts, I know it's a really hot take, but I would prefer discovery over drafts. Really? If we, if we can actually balance the appearance rate in a more enjoyable way, not like the, the way they are doing right now, like just adjusting a few rates once in two weeks, it's not that interesting of a concept. It could be much more interesting than that. Do you have Why, any ideas? I, yeah, I remember I had few suggestions. I don't remember exactly what I said at that time. Uh, you could just you could just uh, delete a bunch of cards from discovery from each prism to balance it much better. Uh, one of my ideas was that uh, you could have you made the discovery basically a battle of starting decks. You know how the starting decks work? Uh, you have a core of, if I remember correctly, 20 cards or 15 cards. And the rest of the cards are random, but not completely random. It's each card slot has a free options. And it's randomized between those three options, and once it's randomized, it adds into your deck and repeats 14 more times. Something like that can be discovery, in my opinion. We could balance discovery around general good cards for each single prism, and if we do this, it might be an interesting concept. And you can have it for like one month, and then after one month, change it completely and then add a completely new system of appearance rates. You can tweak it easily. It's not that hard. But they never try to make something creative of it. They always just, just changed rates to each side or another. And was it was never really exciting. 
I think that's a really good point and something that I'm glad you brought up because that is not something talked about very much in the Discord or in general. People complain about discovery in this way or that, but solutions are rarely talked about. Uh, I think that your ideas would make it more fun, especially there's some cards that you can get in discovery that are 100% useless or 99% useless. They, <laughs> they don't work. They're only only good for combos. They're only good in 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 interaction with another card and then you end up with it in discovery and you got a dead card it's really frustrating um and i think that if you took some cards out especially if you had maybe a pool that could even rotate or was different that would go into a deck i i I like your ideas and i think that you're right and i haven't really said it before but there are creative ways to do discovery um a little bit better one of the reasons I haven't pers- I haven't personally played very much Discovery. Right when I started the game, I was playing some Discovery, but I quickly changed to Conquest. And I think part of the reason was it, it is easier, but the second part of the reason was I really like the deck building aspect, and I like you know seeing if my janky stuff can work, and I just get caught up in that for the whole season. I always want to play Discovery at some point in the season. I always like, okay, this season I'll spend some time on Discovery, but I'm always... Always working on a deck, trying to make it better, and I get lost and constructed. I can understand people that play the Skyweaver for the deck building concept. It's it's probably just me, because I played card games for my whole life, and I'm no longer really being excited about deck building. So Discovery is pretty fresh to me. It's a it's a unique concept. I never saw anything like that in any any other game. So it's it caught my interest. Much more than constructed. I have a question for you that is another thing I've never seen talked about, but you said you do it. Um how does one analyze because they always have the discovery rate changes in the patch notes, and you can see 93% or 58 like there's just percentages there. How do you look at that and analyze what is going to be good? Like how how much data are you really going through and how much calculation are you doing to try and find out what deck is going to be good based on the discovery rates in the current patch? Basically, you have you have data on previous patch what was good based on results. And then you see, I mean, you look at the appearance rates and you can see the pattern, what's getting nerfed and what's getting buffed. If you really want to be basic about it, you can just write up if some card's appearance rate got changed and you form your opinion if that's a good card or not. If that's a bad card and its appearance rate got reduced, it's a buff for this prism because this bad card going to appear less in your deck. And the same with good card. It's if it's gonna appear more often, then this prism got buffed, basically. So if you wanna be really lazy, you can just write up every single. Pre- I mean, not lazy, but like very precisely and not very creative. You just write up all the percentages, and you can calculate how much exactly the prism got better, because. Discovery doesn't truly have a meta, to be real. It's about just general good cards in each prism, and the more good cards you have on your deck, and more often they appear in your deck, the better. 
basically. So you just try to see the pattern of what Horizon is trying to do with the prism. Are they trying to buff it? Are they trying to nerf it? Or they are just tweaking the rates and it's gonna be neutral, but it's gonna be different. Just the feel of play gonna be different because the cards are gonna be different, but kind of the same power level. So usually you just look how many cards got changed and what's the quality of them and you calculate it not calculate it precisely but you are trying to get a feel and you can be pretty consistent on your guesses so in poker there's something called i believe it's called gto or something where you take your chances of winning something as a percentage and even if your percentage is negative you still take the chance because in the end after you know, 20 games or whatever, you're overall going to be making money. I feel like Discovery is a little that way. You see something go from whatever percent up a little, like 2% or whatever small amount, and you're changing your strategy based on such a small percentage of more likely or less likely to show up. Do you feel like these small percentages have an impact in every game you play, or do you just think overall... You're going to win more with these small changes. If you're talking about if you should um, modify, like change your gameplay based on the rates when you play against a specific prism and you know certain cards are going to appear less often or more often, then that's basically what makes you a good player. If you know the frequency of cards your opponent is going to have in his hand, then you're basically the best discovery player because no one, well, almost no one cares about that because it's too difficult, so complicated. And maybe for $200, I'll do it. <laughs> You'd have to pay me a lot more. <laughs> if you just enjoy discovery and all this thinking process, you can also do this for free just to compete. I I'm not sure if you guys know. But the first big Skyward tournament was Discovery. It was like 5,000 USD, if I recall correctly. Was it, that this... in, in closed beta or open beta? No, I don't know. It was, it was 2021 December. I don't know if, if it was closed or open beta. Because that was... No, it couldn't have been 2021. That would have been close beta, and we had championships before then. Sorry, but I need the flex because I actually competed in those back when I did things. No, I know for sure it was in December 2021, uh, the 5000 UC tournament, because it's the reason why I started playing the game. Oh, yeah, but we had championships before then. I played in one was in uh, April of 2020. What was the price pool? Was it as big as this? Oh, not nearly, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, then, I'm saying that's the biggest tournament because it was the biggest price pool. Ah, uh, oh, I got you. I thought you were saying it was, like, the first one. I mean, the first big tournament. Yeah, uh, yeah, I got you now. Qualifiers. Um, actually, this tournament is kind of a reason why many players picked up Skyweaver in the first place. And I'm pretty sure it was 
really important that it was discovery, not constructed. How come? I mean, so many new players are actually started playing only because of this tournament and only because you don't need to build a deck for it. You can just pick a prism and the deck gonna compose you on its own. So it's I remember, much easier to start. Yeah, I remember the first tournaments I played in were all Discovery. And I was not a very good player, but that was a big motivating factor because I was like, bring three decks. I'm not ready to find three meta decks at all because I don't know it that well, but I want to get involved. I want to get in a tournament. My first my first tournaments were Discovery, and now I only play when I can construct a tournament because I'm just not as good at Discovery, but it's a skill I hope to make better in time. But I get what you're saying about being Discovery for a tournament is a good way to bring people in as opposed to having them have to study the game and meta longer. So did you win that one, Nobless? I ended up either fourth place or third place. I don't remember. I got like few hundred dollars. It was my first week of playing, and I I'm gonna be honest, I wasn't understanding the game too well. I was doing some random stuff from the errors and trials. I thought at this time I thought the wisdom is a control prism in discovery. And I thought that Ada is is pretty good. And now I understand Ada is pretty garbage and Wisdom is the best aggro in Discovery. Uh, the times are just changed. <laughs> Still, it's really impressive that you got that far. Especially that early into your career with the game. Right. Well, no, I mean, there were a lot of new players in this. So we we basically were almost all on the same footsteps. So you've played a lot of tournaments. As far as I can see, you're you're always a fierce competitor in the tournaments, usually ranking in the top uh the top one or the top couple. Um do you feel like tournaments are one of the major modifiers for people playing a game? Is that something that Skyweaver should focus on? And what do you like and dislike about tournaments? I think tournaments might be a driving force for driving force for Skyweaver potentially with proper marketing. If, for example, we host um, another five thousand tournaments and people actually know about it, then it might be pretty beneficial for the game. Like the like the same tournament as the first 5000 one. It brought a lot of people to game. And then all the past tournaments, I felt like all the same people were playing those tournaments and it didn't really do much. It might... It might create an incentive to play the game more for those people, like to keep playing the game, to play those tournaments. But I don't see them bringing new people, really. That's my take on it. Alright, in your personal history with tournaments, um, what makes a good one and what makes a bad one? Well, big price pool makes a good tournament and low price pool makes a bad tournament. Well, not like that. Uh, <laughs> I would also like to play Discovery tournaments more than Constructed, 
because I like discovery more. And I would also like to have as big of a prize pool as possible. And uh, I kind of like the tournament Horizon made where you need to qualify either through ranked or, or conquest. It was pretty fun. And the crystal as a first place was a pretty exciting reward. I think, uh, well, from the Horizon standpoint, if you think about it, why, why make this tournament? What does it achieve exactly? It makes the community happier, sort of. But I'm not sure if it's actually worth the money. I think it was fun for people to watch, you know, the top players because it was kind of hard to qualify. What was it? Top 16 constructed or top 15, 16 conquest. So that was a pretty small pool of players that it um, picked from. And I remember as someone who cast it actually along with Bacon, um, it seemed like pretty hype. But like you said, it's not for new players at all. You, you can't play as a new player. Yes, exactly. And this makes me question, why make these tournaments? Well, obviously, I myself as a competitive player would like to see them. But if I was a Horizon member, I would be like, why? Why would we make those tournaments? What do we try to achieve with them? I'm not really sure. I think they're trying to foster a competitive community. But also, in the more recent AMA, I I don't know for certain that he said this, but I'm pretty sure that Eddie talked about actually having, like, it was either weekly or monthly tournaments, but they would be differentiated by, like, skill brackets. So, like, whatever rank you placed in the last, like, round of the constructed season, you would be eligible for that rank's, like, weekly tournament or whatever, and they'd have, like, smaller pots and stuff, but also be, like, you could have a tournament setting against people of your skill level, and you know, there'd be like some little potter something in that. Do you think that might be more conducive to what you're talking about? If those tournaments gonna have a prize pool, then you can just make a smurf and finish at the specific rank to end up in, in the tournament you need. It's pretty abusable. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a issue. I would say that you need a way to validate accounts, but I don't know how the heck you'd do that. Yes, exactly. I remember Mephisto did a so-called noob tournament, but it's so vague. Like, who is a noob? How can you confirm this player is a noob? <laughs> this tournament was so confusing, and it's pretty much the same concept to me. Yeah, because like, if you want to have a tournament that's only for like, newer players or whatever, you're not going to expect them to have accounts that have been around for that long. But the ones that are probably smurfs are also going to be recently created accounts. Wait, you might be able to... All of the card transactions and stuff are verifiable on blockchain and stuff, aren't they? Like, we can see who moves account or cards from one account to another? Yes, you can check out every single player individually, but... Is it worth to do this? Yeah, you'd need, you'd need manual review. I agree that with that um, structure you, you mentioned, Bacon, that would be 
it's Smurf Fest. It'd be very easy to Smurf, and there are plenty of players with any amount of monies involved that will Smurf. Um, there's no honest player base that wouldn't would be like, well, Skyweaver players are too honest to do that. No, no way. No. But uh, <laughs> there, there are other things that were talked about. For example, he was talking about um, like daily, even free tournaments that would get you into the higher level tournaments um, or give you other stuff. So things that where the payout isn't necessarily beneficial enough to smurf for, but also um, something for new players to get an opportunity to play in a competitive situation. I'm not sure if I want to talk about this on the podcast. Again, about the tournament scene. All the tournaments are hosted on the community gaming. Well, almost all of them. And, well, you can say it's universally full for all the games, but the competitive Skyward community is relatively small. So, what you can do is that Usually, the maximum amount of participants is either 64 or 128. And if it's 64, you can just fill the whole tournament with your smurfs. And to me, the fact that you can do this is pretty amusing. Alright, yeah, it's definitely something to be mindful of. For Horizon, as a player, uh, it's not really anything I can do about it or we can do except for try and report them. But where does that go? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's that's something for them to, to work on. I, I don't know how much we can discuss it. I just feel like the whole tournament thing is so abusable, like any single tournament. I'm not sure what, what they can do about it. Even the the tournament, the official one, where you need to place a top 16 on Conquest or Ranked. Well, it's an insider info, but I know at least three Smurfs in this tournament. I I think that's pretty horrible. And I think it's very important as far as Conquest go that they don't have an ELO rating. There's a lot of new players who are out there going, why is it, Why am I getting matched against the best players in Conquest? It's because there's no choice but to do that. Like, if there was an ELO in Conquest, it would be pretty, pretty chaotic. Well, I think part of that- the appeal of Conquest was supposed to be that there wasn't an ELO system. So if you were a really good player, you could just go in there and, like, wreck shop on people. Or at least that was the theory. It's still theoretically possible. If we want this to actually happen, and if we want to solve the Smurf tournament problem, we need to play the bigger player base, and it's going to solve it on its own, basically. But as of now, I'm... I'm just really concerned about all the Smurf stuff in anything competitive. Couldn't community gaming force you to verify your identity? I mean, there's still there's still ways around that, so many different ways. 
um, to pretend to be two people on the internet. This more. might be a bit excessive, but there could be something where it's like, oh, you have to send the photo of a, like, government-issued ID or something like that. But I mean, also, like, we're playing a card game. I don't know if, like, people care that much. Well, it's just that I know it happens. As I'm saying, official tournament had at least three smurfs uh, between the 32 people. Do you have anything special you do when you're in a tournament? Like, do you make sure you have enough water, or do you sleep right before it, or not sleep before it, or, you know, any any preparation you do for a tournament, do you take your decks out and play them a certain amount of times, or how do you go about getting ready? There is one specific thing about tournaments, uh, the constructed ones. Everyone has a public spectate link, right? And what you can do is you can scout all of your opponents if you want. You can scout every single deck they are playing and every single card this those deck have. Because, because you can actually open their replays. And I, I don't know if anyone does this. I'm not doing this. But knowing that I can do this and it gives me a pretty high advantage is... Again, it's weird to me. Personally, I think that that's actually okay. I, of course, like, I'm of the opinion that players should actually, like, know exactly what the opponent's deck is going into the games. But, uh, I, I think you get better matches when the players are acting with more information. Like, if anything, well, I would rather it not be this weird backwards eye, you have to manually go check everybody's replays. I would rather it just be everybody just, like, drops their decks on a certain, like, Google Sheets or whatever, and before your game you can go download your opponent's decks and then import them and go, oh, they're running these cards. I think that, like, you would have better competition in that situation. Obviously, yes. Open deck lists are gonna be a better competition, but it looks like organizers are not really concerned with this. Yeah, that's a bit of a disappointment, in my opinion. True. Well, I've, I've seen... I've seen you, Noblez... Um, I've mentioned this on the podcast before without naming you, but you play Conquest and you're you're playing all day or for hours on end, and if you queue into someone that's the same, I see you open a new tab and look at your previous replay or open up their deck, and, and I, I, I'm definitely not saying that there's anything wrong with that, and I never have, but it's uh, interesting once you play someone in Conquest, you have their entire deck, and you can study it in real time when you're playing them. You can also just dodge the person, as you can always see if they are in-game or not, and you can always count which game are they on, on Conquest. And again, I'm, I'm not really sure if this should exist. That's, a, that's something I hadn't actually ever thought about. The, uh, in Skyber, in both tournaments and Conquest, there are so many like, shady ways of getting advantage. I'm not sure if this all should exist. Would you... Are you looking for a Discovery Conquest to come back at some point? Is that something you miss greatly? If I had Discovery Conquest at this time, I would play it. Like, right now. For sure. 
I I was never bored of it in all the time I played. And I have a lot of games. It was basically... I was playing Hearthstone for a long time competitively, and I was so absolutely bored of card games, I couldn't stand it. But the, the discovery thing is actually so refreshing, I kinda love the card games again. And then it got shut down, and yeah, I'm, I'm not as active in Skyver as I, as I was used to. If I had Discovery now, I would be I would be active. Do you guys want to briefly go over? We don't have a bunch of time. We usually take a while on the patch. Do you want to go over the patch now, Bless? Or we can do that next week with Sidus if you want to continue talking about uh, some uh, feelings you have towards the game or some insight you have for our listeners. Well, uh, I guess we could just talk about the patch. Okay. Yeah. Bacon already brought up the Melong change, um, and that's obviously, or I don't know if it's obvious, but that is definitely the card I've been hearing the most complaints about since the patch, and mostly my, Dream, Dreamgate. Uh, <laughs> my take on this patch is that how many weeks in a row Iris is the best deck, uh, I don't even remember. It's like six weeks already or something like that. And this patch did nothing to Iris. I was reading it and I was like, well, so what do we do? So it's, it's still going to be all Iris and Conquest. But why? Why are we not nerfing the deck that... Like, I'm playing Iris and Conquest myself and... The only matchup I don't want to play is Mirror, because it's the only matchup where I know I have some odds of losing. If I'm playing non-Iris, I'm like 95% sure I'm gonna win no matter what. Because the deck is that strong. And it's unchanged. And it made me think they do not care about Conquest in a single bit. Yeah, I will say the patch was definitely... it was definitely interesting. It addressed a lot of, like, problematic cards, but I'm curious about, like, what the overall direction is supposed to be, because just, like, listening to what Coulter was talking about and what he wants to do with the game, it sounds like he's exactly on the right step. Reading off the actual description that is given for Patch 110, it's that the focus this time was on adjusting cards that create early power spikes or cheat large amounts of mana. Something that a lot of the constructed competitive player base definitely feels like are uh, not great. Coulter agrees. Very cool. He says, we're aiming to create a metagame based more on back and forth interaction. I'm going to presume that that means board control because I don't think, I can't think of anything else it would mean. And avoid runaway games when possible. Yeah, because cards that, you know, you have to kill it immediately or else you lose are generally not creating like skill intensive games. All of that on its own is just wonderful and if you actually look at some of like the more niche card changes like uh the adjustment to iron mask the adjustment to sick burn the adjustment to ether surge i think all of those are great changes but there's also i feel like what's missing from all of this is kind of like a re look at like prism identity and i think that that's kind of what is stalling the progress with these patches 
To me, it seems like we are all waiting for something big to happen in those patches. Uh -huh. Like, 30 cards modified, but it never happens, actually. Well, it used to be, and when I say used to, I mean like a year or two ago, that they would actually change like 20, 30 cards in every patch. Personally, I loved that system, because first off, it does a really good job of keeping the meta fresh, and there are people complaining about like, ah, I worked so hard to make this really good deck, and now it gets nerfed, now I don't want to do it. I never really bought that argument, because like, I feel like you should just take your little sticker for the like, Skyweaver Hall of Fame. Like, look at you, you got a card nerfed, good job. And I feel like that you should actually be like, proud of that. And also, you know, you got your two weeks of fame, but you don't get to keep dominating with it month after month after month. Like we have seen with other decks in the past. But uh, there's were a lot of voices in the community that were getting upset over the frequency and the aggressiveness with the balance changes. So I also think that part of the reason that the patch changes have been slow is that Coulter and Mata, I think, have been recalibrating towards more aggressive patches, but they've been taking a cautious increase towards more aggressive patches because they also still tacitly have the uh, one week is a big patch, one week is a check-in patch deal. Although, I think that that has mostly ended up just being, I don't want to say an excuse, but more like a reason for the middle patches to not really adjust the meta too much. I, I remember them saying, yeah, we're doing one major patch a month and one small patch, but I honestly, looking at the patches, I don't feel tell. like they've, I, I don't feel like that's noticeable. Well, so because in two the weeks there's there are things that need to change enough things that need to change. Yeah, so like patch one oh nine, uh, spell broken. That was a check in patch. So what they changed was they made Soulpire Titan not just a zero mana delete button with burnout. Cool. They nerfed dash for the cup. All right, it was too strong, but they didn't really fix the card's design. They just made it not a problem. They gave us the five mana dream calling. Interesting. They adjusted secrets. All right. They preemptively nerfed Grover. Good. And then uh, we get Spellbreaker and Glizzy. And those were like all of the changes. And okay, that's a check in patch. But like, you know, they targeted the meta. They didn't really make many aggressive changes. And some of these are actually like ended up probably being net buffs. But I mean, it is a check in patch. All right. Then we get to the more recent patch that we literally just got yesterday. And what do they change? Well, Epic Eagle gets a little bit tankier. Cool. Reckless Racer gets a minor nerf. Okay, that's a weak wait, nerf. Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm going to break it there. Minor nerf? It just straight up killing the card now? Reckless Racer lost stealth. That's all yes. they change. Well, the stealth was the only reason why we were playing this card, in my uh, opinion. No, Reckless Racer is still a rather good... A unit. It's. I mean, it's a one mana one three, basically, but mostly for Fox Metal, they get a lot out of it because it is very good with things like Call to Action. Also with Mechari, it is also very good buff carrier. So like Nurtured Bond is handy with it. It is very good as a way to carry Glorious Main because you immediately get value. It has a lot of like niche uses. I mean, it's definitely worse, but I don't think it's dead. Uh, in, in my perspective, it's uh, an Iris card. Well, I'm a Cogmas player, and the only deck where this card is played is Iris. 
and you obviously got this card. There is just simply no reason to play it anymore. Previously, it used to be a one drop that is has stealth, so it never gets damage from like for free. And then eventually in the game you buff it with like Wild Deal or Bloodletter, something like that, or even Blades. And now you just drop it on turn one and it just dies in two turns. And for I, th free. I think that's the point of the patch is it got deleted from Iris, but it didn't get deleted completely from the game. Other decks yeah. can, can still run it, but you're right. It doesn't fit into Iris very well anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that might be the case. Yeah, but anyways, this this was our big patch. So they buffed Eagle. I think it's a buff. I'm not entirely sure. It's probably a buff. I don't uh, know. They changed Reckless Racer. They gave us a consistency change to Light Border, which was, okay, cool, good. They finally nerfed Hydrate. Frankly, I feel like the evidence for this has been available for like a million years. But if anything, it was certainly available in patch uh, 108, whenever Iris was first starting to just butcher everybody. It should have been nerfed then. Glad it happened now, but it took way too long. Menglong got its change, where it's now a 5-mana deal 8 to your opponent's face in Wisdom. We got a weird change to Aether Whale. Shield Bash got a minor nerf. It is still better than Dawnblade. Sickburn got a change, which was good. Iron Mask, Aether Surge, and yeah. None of these are really like big world-defining changes. None of these are really going to like create new decks. Like we're still going to see Iris. Metal Fox is still going to be around. We're still going to see Dig. And none of these are really like what I feel like actually belong in like a big patch. All of these I feel like could have been in patch 109. These also could be a piece of a bigger patch. I mean, we have consistency changes. That's generally something that you expect to see in a bigger patch. Um, and like you said, you know, there are touches on this Iris deck. Shield Bash and um, Reckless Racer both hit it. I don't I, I don't know if she'll... You're going to have to tell me, nonetheless, if Shield Bash is still played. Um, I'm just really happy it that is. it is. Yeah, so I'm I'm happy that got, card got touched at all because I I personally felt like that was the most broken card in the game. So I'm glad they reached it. It also should have been touched at least last patch, if not the one before that. Um, but you're right. I think that there definitely was a lot of room for more changes and maybe some more testing on Maylong. The thing with Maylong, I'm sure that statistically it's going to appear to have a fairly fine win rate. But the fact that the Wisdom Prism, which if, like, you actually read... Like, Coulter wrote an amazing series of articles, like, a year or two ago, that was called, like, Designing Sky. I highly encourage everybody to read them, because they are great. One of the key things that Wisdom is supposed to be weak at, and it was originally designed around, was that they were supposed to lack offensive pressure. Wisdom, as a general rule, coming straight out of Designing Sky was that Wisdom was not really supposed to have amazing burn options. It's not supposed to have any of these, like, explosive combos. It's supposed to be planning for very late games, controlling the board, and stuffing you out until then, at which point it starts playing really big, really good cards, and then it just overwhelms you. That's why you have things like Sky Phoenix, which maybe have a little bit of burn, but it also has a healing component, it also has a deck-building component, and it also, like, protects your face. Menglong and, like, Shield Bash and Secrets and all these things, these are offensive pressure. It's just, oh, you didn't kill my Blightcrafter, which, by the way, the fact that Blightcrafter was not touched is kind of just bad. I don't have any other way to put that more gently. But, uh, 
like we just we're not designing around prisms anymore it's like we're trying to make changes to cards without actually changing the meta talking about blight crafter uh there is an interesting application for this card so far we don't need this as we don't have a control meta but if control meta actually occurs at some point, you play Blight Crafter Overdraft and you shuffle twin, uh, 12 Blights in your opponent's deck and you win. Well, that's the interaction I called the very moment I saw Blight Crafter. I'm like, that that is just filling filling the deck. And that I, I called that interaction before they even made it two Blights. I was like, shit, six Blights is a lot, but now it's now six Blights is nothing. You get six Blights minimum off of Blight Crafter generally. Yeah, Blightcrafter, it just it just pumps your deck full. It, the card Carrion Crow is completely worthless now because of Blightcrafter. Well, it's not completely worthless. It's two mana, two two draw a card. Yeah, it's not that bad. And it's yeah, targeted well, like, card. You can get Soul Drain or uh, more. No, 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 it's Blight. No, it's Blight. Oh, you can get Blight. Yeah. 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 Well, I get I get to draw Blight. Cool. Well, Thanks. you you even said. That's a zero mana draw card, and it's not worthless. But it did screw up uh, a number of tutoring options. It did screw up, and it was really annoying when like the second best card in the deck probably was Mirror Surge, and the best card in the deck countered the second best card of the deck with Blights. That was pretty, pretty broken because you're playing the third best deck. You're losing to both the first two best decks, but uh -huh. you're playing the best deck. You're not losing to the second best deck because you counter them. Yeah. I also want to talk about quotes nerfing Iris. We nerfed Shieldbash and uh, Racer, and the, we put Manglong at ten mana. So command always summons Nersodavest, uh -huh. and Dream Calling always summons Nersodavest, uh -huh. and this patch is a buff to Iris, unironically and. It's not a small buff, it's a big buff to Iris. And Iris was the best deck in the game for a long time, and not even contested at all. And it got better. I mean, yeah, like, if you look at, like, the meta as a whole, like, Iris's power level might have come down, but even if we assume that it did, what were the other serious contenders in the meta? Mirror Surge? Uh, Aether Surge into Echo does not really exist anymore. Which is good. That combo was just, uh kind of insane, but it just isn't there anymore. Is Dig going to be beating Iris? I don't think so. I mean, Sick Burn is neat, but eh, not really. And also, like, Hydrate is probably just better now. It doesn't even have the overdraw requirement anymore, so you can actually, like, go back to more reliably, reliably overdrawing your opponent with Hydrate. Hydrate got actually better for Iris. Uh, unironically, this card was cut before, as it wasn't doing too much, you never overdraw your opponent, and now you can just consistently have more fuel to fill the elements in your graveyard to play your 2-mana Manglong, your Dream Calling, and the Secrets. Yeah, it's so. even on value now. Before, what was supposedly the drawback to Hydrate was that yeah, sure, you go plus two, and you get three cards out of your deck, but uh, your opponent actually ends up going plus three. So unless you overdraw them, oh, they got card advantage, and you spent mana for that. But now it's like, 
Wow, I give my opponent a card. Also, I get two. Also, I send my deck more. Also, I have these options now. Like, it's just, it's just good. I don't... A part of the issue, I think, is that there is a overall design philosophy that, in general, I think is very good. The idea is that whenever you want to nerf a card, you typically try to target its best-case scenarios, make those worse, target its worst-case scenarios, and make those better. Me and some other people call this the uh, higher floors, lower ceilings approach. So if you look at something like Epic Eagle, I could kind of argue that this approach was done here. Sometimes you play Epic Eagle, smacks their face, you play Strike Down, you kill something, you feel very good for six. Also, it has four health, so you know, like, it dies to incinerate. Yeah. And sometimes you also play it, and it just, uh, dies to incinerate. Wow. I spent all this mana to get little benefit. I don't know if this is how it will actually end up playing out. But you could argue that the balance change made to Epic Eagle is an instance of higher floors, lower ceilings. The overall base value of the card when played for a 5-mana unit is better. 5 health is a decent bit better than 4, because now it is more likely to be able to survive things. You can actually trade Epic Eagle into your opponent's heavy cavalry. That's a plus 1. It will have 1 health left, so if your opponent wants to remove that for free, they have to take 6 points of burn damage. That's an alright trade. But at the same time, you're not going to have those really swingy board control flip-out moments where you get to play it, you destroy something with the one-mana removal spell, you destroy something else, and you're just running over them. This approach, however, I think has been applied to Wisdom in interesting ways that are good in theory, but I don't think the math works out. Hydrate is a good example. I think that they did cull what was a egregious instance with the overdrawing, if you went first, and you had a mana crystal in your hand, past your turn, your opponent could play Hydrate and go even. You would be punished and you would lose a card from your starting hand, while your opponent acquires more resources and sends their deck faster than you do. Also, now if you kept any draw cards in your hand, those are basically dead unless you want to suffer the overdraw, which is going to dramatically slow you down and worsen your consistency in the late game. Menglong is another instance. Is this card going to be played on turn 2 now? Nope, not really. However, is this card, on average, just a hell of a lot stronger? Yes, it is. The overall approach is good, but I think that you also need to look at what the average utility of a card is whenever you're actually balancing things this way and make sure that you don't raise the floors too high. And I totally agree with you, Bacon. Uh, you know, and this is what I said exactly last episode, is they do not have enough people non-biased playing this game to tell them that when they make these changes, there's a bad reaction. Norse do Vest or, you know, Adedeki, all these things. And I know they think it hard and they do contemplate the changes, but there are positive interactions happening, especially in Iris, that, you know, like Hydrate and Maylong and Dream Calling are now all better and they're trying to nerf... I'm, I assume they're trying to nerf the best deck of the game that's overpowering. Um, I don't think they're trying to make it better. Well, looking through the last four patches, if you look at... Uh, here, hang on. Let me get all of my tabs closed. Noblesse, you got anything you want to add real quick? No, I'm not sure. Yeah, alright. If you look at the past four patches, and this is just... I would call this a random sample... Because uh, we start with a uh, we start with a check-in patch. 
if we look at the actual like card changes between patches 107 check-in we've got 10 modified cards 108 this is a big patch uh it's 18 cards although this was the one where uh first off this was the one where they actually buffed blightcrafter but they also buffed up a lot of the like expansion cards that were not performing so well uh this is also the one where like they changed all the best spells uh, patch 109, check and patch, 7 changed cards. Patch 110, 10 modified cards. Do you think that they have a internal idealized constraint on the hard number of cards that they are going to change within a given patch? When I think about it, you were talking about how previously they were changing more cards per patch, uh -huh. and now it's less aggressive. Yep. Well, there could be one simple reason to that. Imagine you're investing in the game, like it's a crypto game after all. You're investing to get more points on Conquest. And every two weeks, meta changes completely from one set of cards to another. And you need to buy new cards to be competing again. Like if you want to have points for the Conquest chest. So it could be this exact reason why they are less aggressive, in my opinion. Yeah, it could be. Here, I just pulled up uh, three more patches. Uh, whenever... Okay, so patch 104, 13 changed cards. Two of them were attachments, dazed, and anima. And then we also had changes to things like Teamot's Rage, Draco Impact. And uh, we got the Mechroom change. And also the Gatto Banjo got killed. Patch 105 was a check-in. We got four card changes. Patch 106 uh, was the expansion. And that was the one where, like, that was one of the best patches in a while, in my opinion. They actually changed, like, 24 cards, but a lot of them were very small changes, and it was largely in the service of retooling bad strength cards that were not only, like, underused, but still aren't really played that much. This was the patch where, like, we got all the guard strength cards. And they also re renamed all of the cards with Slay to make it consistent. Yeah. That was, a, that was a reasonable portion of the patch, too, is just changing the name to Slay. Yeah, Scourge Strike, Mulch, It's a Trap, so on and so forth. So yeah. there was there was that, uh, that Prism Design Contest last week that got done. We talked about competing in it, and Bacon didn't tell us that Sidus won. But congratulations <laughs> to Sidus, even though he's not here this week. He beat me out for second place. Well, I created a card called Haggle, um, and a couple people have talked to me since since the Prism Design, because the card was draw a card, give your opponent that card, draw two cards. And I did this as a fun, goofy thing, and Hydrate got changed to draw two cards, the enemy draws one card. And a couple people messaged me and said, what do you think about Haggle? getting put in the game. And my response is, Hydrate is so much better than the card I designed, which I didn't even think was particularly balanced. I don't think Hydrate's balanced. I think Hydrate is better than it was. And the reason Haggle is bad is because you're losing the card that you put in your deck, which makes comboing inconsistent. It makes your issues of giving them something that you probably wanted. And it also adds the complexity of maybe figuring out a way to make it negative for them, which is good to have that kind of complexity in a card. Hydrate just draws you two cards, and the enemy draws one card. And I just I think for one mana, that's too good. Card advantage is too good. 
Not just card advantage, but deck thinning. Yeah. So do you guys think that there should be more uh, patches like 106, where, or you have like a bunch of modified cards, but like they have very minor changes? Like, that was the patch where like Junk Golem got buffed, Puppet Master got a change, Breacher got its new effect, Tat, Band Together, Oliphant, Arculoff. And like, not a lot of those cards are really like played, but some of them are. Some of them are used. Honestly, I'm not for that kind of patch change because they make 20 changes. They're going to make something too good or ruin something they didn't mean to. Um, I'm already saying they're having a hard enough time tracking all the effects their change is going to have in the meta down the road. And so I think adding more and more cards to it when they change. I mean, if they're going to just buff some minor cards, that's generally good, I think. But when they do that, there's going to be some shit that gets way better and then they only i only gave it one more health yeah but that one health like could you imagine giving eclipse one health that's a huge change but it looks small so i think that you know you got to be careful when you're doing lots of changes but i do think that they need to um probably more cards but just like being wide and abrasive go okay now it's been two weeks we're gonna change a bunch of stuff about the game is more likely to create broken stuff. Now, bless you think? I myself, uh, I myself like this patch a lot, where they changed twenty guard cards for strength. It was pretty refreshing compared to all the other patches. And also, I'm not sure which meta game you played in, but this patch was very impactful. The best conquest deck at the moment was Guard Fox. Not sure if it wasn't ranked, but. It got nerfed, like, Reinforced got nerfed to 5 mana again, because of this deck. And Titan was carrying it too, with the Burnout. And then it all got nerfed. But it was still pretty interesting to play with all the new stuff. I never saw Oliphant in my game before this patch, as well as Stats and, and Shagun too. Shagun. And then together. And all of, of those other cards, I never saw them in the game, ever, before this patch. And I'm actually playing, I played last night a um, Earth Mira, and that uses a lot of cards from that balance patch. And I, they're still in there, and you're right, a bunch of it did have to get nerfed again. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know, it was fun. Guard Fox wasn't fun, and Titus Guard wasn't very fun, but Titus Guard wasn't exactly right when that patch came out it was a little bit before that we're gonna wrap it up here now any any insightful things you want to tell us Nobles? any things that you know that other people don't know that you want to share with the world of skyweaver hmm, can i remember anything let me think i know that my event might get an official support from Horizon. It might happen, or may not. We never know. But the the possibility is there. Like, it, it might get additional funding, or even more official approach, approach overall. That's cool. I couldn't say for sure. I do actually, I want to get to this before the end of this, because I have a question about that. Is that $200 for the month, the whole season, or is that for this week or something? 
No, it's it's the whole season. All right. I couldn't spend two hundred every single. Well, day. I know, but I thought it might be a one-off that you're doing because it's kind of hard to track. It'll just be the number one spot at the end of the season, not the average best of these four weeks. Yeah. No. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the number one player occurring at the end of the season, like when. The season 19 starts and you look at the season 18, the rank one is going to be the person who averaged the best. Like, uh, across four weeks. Alright. Uh, anything you want to add before we wrap up, Bacon? Uh, I'm all good. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Nobus. Actually, I feel like we got a lot of insight from you. And honestly, I don't play enough tournaments, and Sidus and Bacon don't seem to either. So your insight on that was, like, invaluable for the podcast to give us some more knowledge. And you are very involved in, like, some of the higher big brain aspects of Skyweaver. So thank you so much for your insight. We'll have you again maybe someday if you didn't have such a bad time. Um, but for now, thank you everyone who listened. Uh, tell us if, we, if you have any feedback for us. Have a wonderful day, night, and life.